Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. G'day space junkies and welcome to the podcast. It's your host here, PhD student Annie Hanmer, and today's guest is a science communicator and astrophysicist, Kirsten Banks. Kirsten is currently undertaking a PhD at UNSW in astrophysics. She is passionate about increasing the representation of women in science and as a proud Wiradjuri woman often speaks on TV, radio and at public events about Aboriginal astronomy. Kirsten was the winner of the CSIRO Indigenous STEM Award in 2018 and spoke at TEDx Youth at Sydney in 2019. I was super excited to catch up with Kirsten over a cup of tea via Zoom to talk about her PhD research and career plans and to chat about our experiences of being young women who have grown up on the internet with all of the good and bad that that can bring. In this episode, you might notice some audio issues at my end as usual. This time it was because it was really cold and at the last minute I put on a big woolen cardigan and it kept bumping the mic. So my apologies for that. Before we start, a quick note that I'll be talking at a webinar on July 9th being put on by the UNSW Australian Centre for Space Engineering Research. The topic is the implications of the Artemis Accords for Australia. And the other speakers are Dr. Cassandra Steer, who's a lecturer at the ANU College of Law and a mission specialist for InSpace, Professor Andrew Dempster, Director of the Australian Centre for Space Engineering Research at UNSW Sydney, Professor Donald Rothwell, who is a Professor of International Law at the ANU College of Law, the Reverend Dr. Nikki Coleman, who's a Chaplain and Senior Chaplain Ethicist at the Royal Australian Air Force, and Donna Lawler, who is the principal at Azimuth Advisory. And Donna Lawler has appeared on this podcast before. My other shout out is for the Australian Youth Aerospace Association's Aerospace Futures Online content, which will be happening over the next few months and which I've been helping to organize. There are live Q and A's with CEOs, and the first one kicks off with Save Astronautics CEO, Jason Held on Tuesday 23rd of June at 4 p.m. You can follow Aerospace Futures on Facebook and other social media to stay up to date. That's all from me. Enjoy the podcast. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Okay, we've had a problem here. This is Houston, say again, please. Uh, Houston, we've had a problem. G'day and welcome back to the Space Junk Podcast. I'm Annie Hammer and I'm here with Kirsten Banks. Kirsten, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for inviting me onto your podcast. Oh, it is a pleasure to have you here. I see you all over the internet and we're sort of constantly doing things that I thought, my goodness, I really ought to have Kirsten on the podcast at some point. So I was really <laughs> happy you were available. And um, Kirsten, tell us, what do you study as part of your PhD? So... Basically, my PhD is galactic archaeology using astroseismology, which is a, a quite a mouthful to, to take down. But essentially, imagine Indiana Jones, but in space. Okay, fantastic. But I imagine that yes. you're not destroying relics along the way as much as Indiana Jones does. No, so it's a little bit, a little bit uh, more respectable than um, Indiana Jones. But mm -hmm. we're basically looking at 
uh, how our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, has evolved over time and the history of the galaxy. And we're doing that by looking at some of these particular types of stars called red clump stars. And we're looking at the wibbly wobbly nature of these particular stars due to what's going on in the inside. And that's where the astroseismology comes in. So we're literally looking at star quakes and using that to understand more about our galaxy. That sounds phenomenal. Um, and it so, is really cool. <laughs> yeah. And so how do you do that? Like, is this, um, when you say you look at them, I imagine you're using telescopes of some description, but what sort of signals do you look for? So I don't know a lot about the astroseismology part of it just yet. I'm only sure. four months into my PhD now, and it's a very new field of astrophysics as well, which is the really novel and exciting part about my project. So what we are doing is we're using the TESS satellites, a NASA satellite. It's the uh, successor to the Kepler satellite, which is looking for exoplanets primarily, but it also uses astroseismic observations so it looks for these wobbles, these star quakes on these stars in the distant galaxy. Mm. But what we're going to do in our project, at least in this first year, is trying to determine the difference between a red clump star versus a red giant branch star. Now, the difference between these, these two types of stars is that red clump stars, they are burning helium on the inside in the core, but red giant branch stars aren't burning helium in their core. So that's what astrosomology does. It distinguishes those two stars from each other by looking at the unique wobbles mm -hmm. that we can observe within these stars. So what we're trying to do in this project, in this first year, is we're trying to expand on this by making those observations with spectroscopy. So using telescopes from the ground, feeding the light that we get from these stars through this splitting of light and splitting it into its different components into the rainbow, the spectrum, and showing that we can distinguish these two stars just using spectroscopy because astroseismology takes a lot of time to make those observations mm. whereas spectroscopy you're done in one night okay so in that sense you've got like one source of data and you're trying to show that you can use another piece of equipment or technology uh collecting another type of data but do the same conclusion if you like is that exactly. right? Exactly. By doing that, we'll be able to get a much larger data set because we're able to observe more of these stars in the same amount of time mm. than doing astrosubmology. So we can get this larger data set and then more information about our galaxy faster. Yeah, which sounds like just way more practically useful. Um, and also like the sort of thing that people can, I'd imagine if you've got like only a little bit of data coming from like you know, Kepler and so on, um, it might be hard to get access to that data to do what you want to do to it. Is that right? Sometimes, or... it, sometimes it can be. It depends on who you know in the science sphere. Is that true? I mean, it depends on, it's like some data can be for public use. So there are some public releases of databases, but then there are the science teams that have specific data uh, for their specific use as well. Mm. Yeah, but either way, having multiple sources sounds like a very good way of verifying what's going on as well. Um, oh, and getting more information. Yeah. Yeah, that is really cool. How, like, how did you get interested in this field? Were you a science-y kid? I was a little bit, yeah. Well, so the story goes that when I was in primary school and in kindy, I was really interested in the weather. And so I wanted to be a meteorologist. Like, I thought it was so cool just being forced to watch the news with my parents. The best part of the news watching for me was waiting till the very last few minutes where the weather girl or the 
meteorologist would come onto the screen and tell us that tomorrow will be cloudy with a chance of rain. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that, they're predicting the future. That's really cool. I want to do that too. And so that's what I wanted to be when I was in primary school. But then in high school, in around year nine or year 10, my science teachers took my entire year group on an excursion to see the Hubble documentary. And I remember that was the point where I was like, whoa, space is really cool. I want to study that. And I want to continue to learn more about the universe. Huh, that's really interesting. And it's so cool that that um, documentary had that effect on you. What do you think it was about the documentary? I don't know. I think it's just the, the um, what's the word I'm looking for? The mysteriousness of space and how beautiful it is without needing any effort. Hmm. I don't know. It was just fascinating. And, and to a small kid watching this huge screen, so it was at the IMAX theatre in Sydney where we watched this Hubble documentary. It's just this huge 3D screen of just these awesome views of space. I was just immersed in it and just super impressed and inspired by what this telescope can do. Right. So you see this documentary and you think, that's what I want to do. I want to hang out with space and, and think exactly. about that and solve that. <laughs> Um, and then what? So you, you finished school, you went to university. What did you decide to study? So initially I wanted to go to university to study aerospace engineering to make rockets um, and to go into space one day, maybe. But when I was looking at the programs, because I knew I wanted to go to UNSW, and there's a funny story behind that. I went on an engineering uh, camp that took us, the, the group took us to all the different universities in Sydney. And I decided I wanted to go to UNSW because they let me ride on a Segway. I've not ridden on a Segway since going to UNSW, but that's what got me going to UNSW in the end. But initially I wanted to do aerospace engineering. And when I was looking at the programs, I noticed that the subjects that you had to take, you weren't actually doing any sort of aerospace engineering until the fourth year of the program. And I was like, this is bull. I want to know. I want to do it now. So that's what kind of led me to physics because at least I'd be doing physics from day one. And so that's why I chose a bachelor of science with a major in physics in the end. Right. Yeah. That, that really, um, I think I felt the same way really. I mean, I picked Sydney uni because I was the nerdiest of high schoolers and attended Latin summer school every oh, wow. summer holidays, which was hosted at university of Sydney. And during the lunch breaks and the tea breaks, of which there were fortunately many, or it would have been very <laughs> tough, I think, to get through Latin <laughs> summer school in my summer holidays. Um, I used to go and hang out around the university and there was the graffiti tunnel. And I thought that was so cool that there was this, um, this it's a tunnel at Sydney University for the international listeners. This will make no sense, but it's, a, <laughs> it's like this tunnel that runs underground between bits of the university and historically, um, it's been a place for free expression of political dissent and other sorts of feelings, I suppose, of students and being permitted to um, do graffiti there. So it's now got generations of spray paint that's built up on the walls and it smells wow. like cancer when you walk through. But it is <laughs> the coolest place. So um, I thought that was like really cool as a, as a young nerd studying Latin and decided that Sydney Uni, but Sydney Uni was the way to go, which I think is quite nice really, because it's always good to know for those people working in university admin and trying to get enrollments, what it is mm. that tips the balance. You know, exactly. graffiti and um, 
and segways. They're probably not the sorts of things that people would think of. And yet, no. And yet here we are. Um, exactly. <laughs> and then again, like that thing of when you're picking a university course and you look at the subjects you get to do. And, um, and in my case, I, so I initially did combined law. And in my case, it was the same. I didn't have to do that much law until fourth year. And for me, that was a bonus. So I went with that because I was like, this way I get to have fun and then be sensible later. Um, and in the event I ran off and did honours and then like was never sensible and never finished the law component. But it was, <laughs> but it is interesting to think about these things because when you're at school, I think you get into the habit of, I study this subject, I do this subject. Where mm. in university, it's more like, by the time I finish this number of years, I will have these skills or this knowledge. It's kind exactly. of a different thing. Yeah. yeah, it's a different way of learning in yeah. university. Yeah, totally. Um, and then when you were in your undergraduate studies, uh, I have to ask, did you join any clubs and societies? I certainly did. I joined the Physics Society. We called ourselves FISOC. I even joined the executive committee for a few years and I had a lot of fun with that. It was a great, well, it still is a great community of people in physics uh, in those degrees and even people from outside of physics i met some of my best friends through the physics society just because they were friends of people in the physics society who were still able to come to events it was very inclusive and beautiful um i even helped design or uh, redesign their logo so it used to just be a phi uh i think it was a phi one of those greek letters that looks like a p for physics and i thought you know this is i was the uh what was what was my what was my title? I must have been media something in the program, in the, uh, in the society. And I decided, you know what, guys, we need to rebrand because this looks too similar to SciSoc. Because that was actually one of the problems on my first, one of my first days at university. And I went during O week to go find the physics society. And I accidentally went to the psychology society, went to FISOC. Like, is this physics? And they're like, no. I'm like, oh can you tell me where the physics society is? They're like, we don't know where the physics society is. We're not physics at all. And so it was kind of that that led me to go, hey, we need a rebrand. Let's change this up. So we changed our logo to, it looks like a triangle, but it's three circles and it's got springs between these three circles where two of them are colored in and one is not, or it's the other way around. I'm trying to remember. It's different on the hoodie than it is on, the, on our webpage, but um, it's a proton. It's two up quarks, one down quark, and the gluons are the springs holding them together. So, <laughs> very nerdy, but it's a lot better than just a phi. <laughs> I think that this is good. Nerdy is good, um, if we've learned anything. And I've got to say, I'm, I'm curious as to your feelings on this one, but I think when, when you're in high school and so on, like, nerdy is sort of... People try to tell you that it's cool to be nerdy, but you know that it isn't. And... Mm. But by the time you get to university, there's something magical about discovering the physics society or discovering the science review society or the Rubik cube yeah. society or something and discovering that like nerdy is actually cool. Like it, it, it really is. is. Yeah. yeah. I think because in high school, like, you know, we watch those typical high school movies where you have the status quo and there's this societal understanding that nerds are lesser people like people they know that they're smarter people know that nerds are gen generally smarter than others but um there's that yeah that bad stigma around nerds mm. that they're like are oh, they're a lesser human in in a way socially lesser and 
then yeah when you get to university you realize no nerds are just people who are passionate about what they do and they love what they do and that's why they look so nerdy when they're talking about what they love and yeah being a nerd is awesome I love it yeah well I've given up on trying to be anything else so exactly um, so at this point I'm in too deep to to get out and it's (laughs) sort of stuck but you know you're, you're a person I think who takes nerdiness uh to the wider world through your online mm. presence. And I hope that some of the people listening to this podcast, if they know of you, um, will know of you for that. The fact that online, you're just like the coolest nerd out there. Person <laughs> has a wonderful Instagram um, presence, I guess, even a bit of a, a YouTube presence as well. And, um, and more recently, TikTok, Kirsten, yes. I also joined TikTok during lockdown and immediately felt way too old and way too young for it. <laughs> but I want to know, what have your experiences been on TikTok? Firstly, when did you find TikTok? I'm trying to remember when I actually found out about TikTok, whether it was just from seeing videos on Twitter or seeing videos on Facebook or just hearing about it and learning more about it and thinking, oh, you know, we might give it a try. And initially when I downloaded TikTok, I was like, oh, let's just have a look. Let's enjoy. And I got sucked into that TikTok vortex. It's like scrolling, scrolling, scrolling for hours on end because it's just so addictive. Like there's, you, you're, it's designed to be so addictive because you're just given those less than 60 second packets of entertainment and fun. And then you're on to the next one. Like it's mm. constantly engaging your mind. But then eventually I thought, hey, there's not a lot of space content on TikTok. Let's try and make that space content and, and in a way, you know, jump on this opportunity and capitalize on this untouched market. And so that's kind of what I did, in, especially during lockdown, trying to deal with lockdown. <laughs> as I'm sure we all, all can empathize to, um, I decided to give myself a bit of a challenge and try and, you know, make these little space snippets, you know, less than 60 seconds and try and cram as much science content into that as I can. And it's just been a lot of fun. It's been t- difficult, uh, in, you know, much like any other, any other um, social media platform, there's always going to be people who comment in a not very nice way but overall it's been very fun yeah I found TikTok similarly I was feeling really depressed because of lockdown and COVID Mm. and um all of my overseas travel had been cancelled and my PhD field work had definitely been cancelled um and all of these things so it was all looking a bit dire and Mm. I thought I'll give this TikTok thing a go and I actually watched some YouTube compilations now, TikTok, for those listening who are not aware, which is probably most people listening, um, is an app which, in addition to collecting a lot of data about its users, um, mm-hmm. also is where you can create and share videos. And it is so much fun. It is so creative. Mm. Of all of the apps that steal my data, this one gives me the most joy back. It's the yes. only <laughs> social media app where I feel happier after looking at it than I did beforehand. So um, true. Yeah, and you kind of like cut together music or sound with like video and the editing is really intuitive and super Mm. easy to use. And there are so many things you can do with it. Um, And what I love is the way that that 
ideas are shared and I guess you call them memes but it's like yeah. a particular soundtrack will be trending and like there'll be a dance that everyone's doing or there'll be like some funny thing that people recreate in their own context um mm. yeah it, it's a really interesting app and a really interesting way of engaging with people that has very little to do with um anything more than just like a feeling which yeah. is maybe why it's so powerful yeah but but how have you gone creating all of this space content it's like can tiktok actually be used for science communication it turns out it can it's it's wild i have to say it's it's funny though because there are quite a few people who follow me on uh twitter who would never dream of going on tiktok which i understand that it is like i said it's a vortex you get sucked in and mm. you know the the data thing is an issue for many people as well so that's fine so what i do is i post my tiktok videos onto tiktok and twitter but it's funny that majority of my videos have performed a lot better on twitter than they have on tiktok <laughs> which is hilarious because like so for example i posted one a couple of days ago about the rotation of the planets in our solar system. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, was, I was so proud of myself with this one. So for those who, if you haven't seen the video, I'd recommend going to my Twitter page or my TikTok page and finding it. But essentially I hold up pictures of planets in our solar system and rotate in a similar way that they would. So Mercury rotates very slowly, Venus rotates the opposite direction very slowly. Then you have Earth, Mars, Jupiter and Saturn spinning normally. And then, for a bit of fun, because Uranus is the next planet, is uh, tilted 90 degrees. And so instead of rotating normally, just spinning on my feet like a normal person, I rolled on the floor on my side. <laughs> and it went really well. <laughs> it was very funny because one of my goals for 2020 was to, uh, get, was to get to 10,000 followers on Twitter, which I honestly thought would, wouldn't happen until about 2021 near the end of this year, near the end of 2020. And it happened all because I rolled on the floor pretending to be Uranus in less than six months. It's a great video, can recommend. Um, also, <laughs> side note, we're about to have someone join as a, um, a live viewer of our podcast recording. The windows of my apartment are being cleaned currently and <laughs> our sailors just put the ropes down. So um, at a certain point, you might see me looking a bit like, Hi, and waving at some people outside my window. Um, oh, this fun. Is this is like the most so social contact I've had in weeks. <laughs> this is great. Like socially distant <laughs> waving to someone outside the window is excellent. <laughs> yeah, so tell me about um, science communication. It's clearly something you're quite passionate about. Why? So I... I'm not like I love it. I love communicating science because it gives me so much joy seeing how people can go from being excited about space, but then being really excited about space because of something that I've shared with them and being able to share my passion for space and astronomy. I think a really cool thing about science communication is the diversity in how you can portray your information and the diversity of how you can give your information as a present to people around the world. And that's what I love to do on Twitter and especially with TikTok, because it's a new innovative way to share information in these short little pockets of time. Mm. So like I said, it's, it's very diverse and 
the really important thing about science is not just the research. The research is important to further our understanding and further our uh, knowledge base, but more important, or at least on equal standing, is communicating that science so that other people can appreciate that knowledge and that new knowledge that we're creating as a scientific community and being able to engage those people to understand what we're doing, first of all, why we're doing it, and in a more realistic sense, uh, get grant money from the government. Ah, yes, very important. <laughs> Getting grant money yes. is, as I've discovered, a wonderful thing. But mm. I think, Kirsten, you take it a step further than most do when it comes to science communication. And a quick trip to YouTube revealed to me that you have actually, um, for hours, spoken with flat earthers. Yes. And very patiently <laughs> spoken with flat earthers. I found this video um, and Kirsten was talking to a person who was convinced the earth was flat. And the, the discussion, there was a moment in the discussion talking about the sun. And Kirsten was pointing out quite rightly that the sun is a very long way away from earth. And the yep. flat earther was, was pointing out that to her eyes, it looked pretty close. Um, and to me, this... This, even as someone who was not engaged in the conversation, someone who does not consider themselves a science communicator and who doesn't really study science science, but just the process of science or something like that, mm. um, this was enraging. It was, <laughs> it was truly enraging. And Kirsten, I have to ask you, how was it for you? Because you managed to keep your cool in a way that I think is superhuman. So here's my secret behind that very long video. So it's, I went on for a live debate with a well-known flat earther. Um, and look, going into that, I knew nothing I would, nothing I could say was going to change their mind because that's, that's how, that's how this works. So going into that, I knew that what I needed to do was to just stay calm because the easiest way for people to discredit what you're saying especially in this sort of conversation is when you get emotional and angry and frustrated mm -hmm. and flustered indeed. So before going into this conversation, I said to myself, I'm just going to keep my cool. I'm going to keep calm and well collected and just say what I know, bring forward the scientific arguments, the scientific facts <laughs> that the earth is indeed round. And so I got quite a few interesting comments from that video after a while. Someone called me a secular saint, which was interesting. That's a, that's a new one for me. Was that intended um, as a compliment or a criticism? I honestly don't know. Because there's a, it's a beautiful paradox, isn't it? That's like it Shakespearean. Yeah. Something out of Macbeth there. Yeah, I like that. Hmm. Yeah, and what else? Yeah. What, other, what other comments did you get? Uh, well, one of the common, most common comments I get whenever I'm on like a video on YouTube or something is people comment about my ears. It's funny. Like, I know I'm used to these sort of, these sort of comments because I, I do have quite, yeah, I mean, I've grown into them now, but I was bullied in, in primary school for having quite large ears. I was called Dumbo a little bit. Yeah, I know. It's a bit shocking, but you know, kids can be cruel. Um, and I've moved past it now. So whenever I see those comments, people were calling me, uh, they look, they say that I look like an elf, which you know, somehow also made them more attractive to me. It was weird. It's a very uh -huh. weird like balance between, 
oh, you're good looking. I'm, object I'm objectifying you. Also, you have large ears. The internet is a weird place. Yeah, yeah. Especially That's all for, I can conclude from that. <laughs> especially for a young woman. Um, mm. yeah, I, I can understand that one. I'm, I find that there's this, um, it's a very fine line, as you say, between someone objectifying you um, and, and sort of expressing distaste. It's a, a, it's a really odd kind of thing. And people are often quite shocked when you like, show them things that people write to you or, yeah. um, or, or tell them about it. But um, I, guess, I guess you and I were probably like grown up with this stuff in, in a way. So yeah. maybe it's... I mean, as any woman on the internet, you, they, we understand. <laughs> we all understand each other and what we get on the internet. Yeah. But we also shouldn't. It's pretty bad. Um, mm. That's not a thing that... I think ought to happen, but I kind of, I'm a bit baffled as to what to do about it. Yeah. It's, I don't know. Cause on one hand, if you call it out, it can go one of two ways or it can be a bit of a spectrum of, of what happens, but it generally can go one of two ways. Either one, you get praised for calling this sort of stuff out or two, you get not praised and say, say you're being, you know, shrill or, you're overreactive. Um, what's the what's the term that most boomers use on millennials? Oh, snowflake. Snowflake. You're know, being called yes. a snowflake. Yeah. Yes. So it's 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 a hard uh, line to should, walk. So when people are like, "Oh, you should just take it as a compliment," it's like, "Oh, but it's not." <laughs> yeah, because it never is, is it? It's never about that. It's always about power. Mm. And um, yeah, and it's like you gain power over someone on the internet either by objectifying them physically or by um, putting them down physically. Mm. And that, that's a frustrating thing, especially when you're trying to deal in ideas and I don't know, communicating stuff. Yeah. It's weird. Cause like nothing about the video or nothing about what you're saying is, you know, about looks or anything like that. Mm. It's, you know, so I'm communicating science, but the only thing you can focus on is how I look or what my hair looks like. It's like, okay, I'm sorry that you've missed the entire point of what I'm trying to do here. <laughs> oh yeah. dear. Ah, well, we're not going to solve the internet today. No, uh, that's, that's for a future day. <laughs> maybe, maybe a future day or, uh, or maybe... I like to think that the younger generation coming up on the internet are a nicer bunch. Like mm. I've been amazed by how nice TikTok is generally. Generally yeah. the content is really positive and it's like kids having fun and being creative in silly ways. Yeah. It's like silly fun. 100%. It's, not, it's nothing like the stuff we used to do when the internet was like new and exciting and social media was mm. new and exciting. When I was in high school, what did we had? We had um, MySpace and... What was that one? Form Spring? I don't think I wasn't. I only ever got like my first Facebook account when I was 12. No, 14. Mm. So I was never really on the internet that much. But I remember the big thing in uh, my high school was the poke, the poke on Facebook. Oh, the Facebook poke. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yeah. You'd like, 
virtually poke someone and then it, you'd see whether they poked you back. Mm. And like, you could like read poke all sorts your crush. It's like, oh, what are they going to do? Are they going to poke me back? This is how I'm going to find out if they like me or not. Precisely. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was really important. And you used to like, uh, instead of liking things, you'd become a fan of things. Yeah. So like you'd see people becoming a fan of a very specific set of things that like mm. would say something specific to someone else. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a strange world, but form spring was a weird one that I never really got on it, but it was basically like you'd sign up and then people would like online bully you, um, oh. was the point of it. Cause oh, they'd like write anonymous comments to you about yourself. Oh, okay. I'm yeah, glad I never went on that. There's a that thesis awful. in that. Um, yeah, I was, I was never really into that. Um, but by contrast, TikTok is like remarkably charming. Yeah. So maybe I like to think that we are getting better and that people are um, learning to be less awful online. Yeah, well, I think those attitudes that have previously and still exist today are growing out and they're, they're kind of in a way being, I'm not sure what the word actually is here, but you know what I mean? They're trying, they're, they're kind of being herded out at the moment because they're, the majority is now kindness and, and constructive. Mm, that's true. Now, Kirsten, tell me what happens next for you? What are your plans for the rest of 2020 and um, for your PhD and dare I say post PhD? Oh, well, eventually I, I would like to be Dr. Kirsten Banks because that sounds awesome mm -hmm. and so cool, uh, which is a, a big chunk of the reason why I started a PhD was for the title. But who doesn't start a PhD for the title? Like, come on. Um, so I one mean, of the things... I wouldn't say I'm doing a PhD for the title, but I probably wouldn't do it if not for the title. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that that's fair. I think otherwise it's like, why, why would I spend my life doing this thing? Um, apart from the fact Other than that learning, knowledge. Yeah, exactly. And, and making new knowledge is, is pretty cool too. Um, but uh, the, for the rest of 2020, I think I want to keep engaging people about space on the internet and reaching out to thousands of people around the world and continuing to do what I love for the sake of sharing knowledge, which I guess I'm doing now, but I just want to do more. I want to keep doing it. I love this. More of that? More of that. <laughs> yep. And post PhD as well, do you think? Definitely. So post PhD, I reckon I see myself making documentaries, uh, touring around the world, being able to share my passion around the world physically, hopefully one day. Hopefully we can move, <laughs> go around the world at some point. But uh, yeah, I kind of see myself I want to be able to share my passion with as many people as I can. That is a noble goal. Um, look, I think we should probably wind up soon. <laughs> Does that work for you? Is there anything yeah. that I haven't asked that you feel like I should have? No, I think we've covered a decent amount of stuff. I think we've, I like where we went. We've gone from, you know, how, where the passion came from to some of the, less appealing things about being on the internet and doing stuff like that. So I think, I think I've had a good time. This has been good. 
Good. I'm very pleased. I've had a lovely time. And uh, the window washers are not yet here, which is a bit sad, but I think oh. <laughs> it might take a while to get down to, to my level. Um, and it's definitely necessary. I can barely see out the window. So this oh, no. <laughs> uh, now, if people want to follow you, find you, watch your TikToks, do all of the stuff, what do they do? So if you want to follow me, I would recommend following on TikTok or Twitter. Those are where I'm most active. And you can find me at Astro Kirsten. At Astro Kirsten, you heard it here, not first, but definitely one of the times you've heard it. And if you are an overseas listener who has not heard of Kirsten, uh, check her out. Among like general awesomeness, also a great Aussie accent um, and one to add to your collection of Aussie accents. I know I have a lot of international <laughs> listeners for whom the Australian accent is the main draw card. The space stuff Amazing. is secondary. Um, <laughs> and that is fantastic. And yeah, well, look, thank you. I personally, and I've got to say, the way that you explained your PhD research was extremely clear. Um, awesome. Well, that's, that's kind of where my sweet spot is, making it clear and understandable, but also entertaining. And that's the joy. Um, and I look forward to seeing more videos of you um, rolling around to explain <laughs> galaxies and stuff. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be more out there soon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Kirsten. Thanks. You've been listening to the Space Junk Podcast. To find out more about Kirsten Banks, follow her on social media where she is at Astro Kirsten or Google her. You can also follow me by searching at Annie Handmer or send me an email at thespacejunkpod at gmail.com.